And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Today we are going to wrap the uh, under-23 sequence. This one, a, a more full episode. We've been doing short uh, short ones on each team's pipeline. Today we're talking about the full list, the individual players, and we got a big uh, beefy mailbag to make up for uh, skipping over that for, for the last little while here. Uh, really looking forward to that, Corey. Uh, so to start off, let, let's get right into it with this under-23 list. Uh, and the, the dominance of the Hughes family at the very top of it, starting at, at number one with Jack Hughes, but all three brothers in the top 11. Right. And I think it, obviously you knew, you knew that with the years that Jack had where he was just, you know, when he was healthy, he was he was incredible for the New Jersey Devils. And and Quinn follows up, you know, the, the great start to his NHL career by having even probably his best year to date, at least offensively. And, and But it was really, I think, you look at the rise of Luke Hughes too, where just year after year he keeps getting better as a pro prospect. Um, that second half at Michigan uh, in this in his freshman season was just incredible. The uh, the offensive tear he went on, and you just like look at all three of these guys, and they're they're all you know, among the best skaters you can. If you put if you dropped Luke in the NHL right now, all three of those guys would be among the best skaters in the National Hockey League. And they all have a lot of offense. I don't think Luke's offense is at the same level as Quinn and, and Jack, but uh, it's it's kind of amazing <laughs> seeing what this family is is becoming. Obviously, Luke needs to do it in the NHL first, uh, but it really is amazing to see what what they've all uh, become. And um, you almost, uh, if you're a USA hockey fan, you're almost like, why couldn't uh, Jim and Ellen crank out a couple more of them? <laughs> well, yeah, certainly, yeah, uh, for, for the Americans. I, I, what I was curious about is is when I was looking at the skating for all these guys, and I think you've got Quinn in the elite tier, which is exceptionally rare. Like, almost no elite skating grades that you give out. Uh, Jack, I think, and, and Luke are both in the high end. And it, it was kind of making me think specific to kind of which is more valuable, because I know you know, an elite skating 5'10 defenseman is still an elite skating defenseman. But when you compare that with a, you know, a high-end skating centerman or a high-end 6'2 defenseman, like almost like which of those overall, I know there's a ranking here, there's more components that go into that, but just specific to the skating, like who's like the best, like the, the best package of skating there for all those attributes and traits? It would probably be Luke. I just think, you know, like I said, when you, when you have that, the frame that he has, unlike his other two brothers, and just how good a skater he is at that size. It's a, you know, he's a true, you know, athletic freak. 
in that regard. He, like I said, he doesn't have the same level of hockey sense skill that those other two have. Doesn't mean it's not strength. It's just not what you know. It's not the same exceptional level of those other two. Where where Quinn was always one of the you know the best playmakers at his age group year after year. Uh, but definitely Luke's physical toolkit is is the most that's off the charts. Were you at all tempted? You're, he's in the same tier as the player right ahead of him, Alexi Lafreniere, to just slide him to ten, to just make it around number three in the top ten. Yeah, I, I had someone make <laughs> else make that joke to me when I I, I sent out this list sometimes to some scouts just as just like just to get an idea of what, of anything that you know I I wouldn't move based on what they tell me, but just, I'm looking for anything that's like, hey, this is way off or this is way off, yep. and just it's more just feedback. And I did have someone make that crack, just like just get put through, say put three in the top ten. It'll be a good headline. <laughs> uh, but no, no, no. Uh, you gotta stick to the list. Well, I appreciate that scout looking out for us uh, headline wise. So whoever that was, uh, just know we appreciate you. Um, right behind Luke on that list is a player who I, I'm gonna imagine drew some uh, attention here. Seth Jarvis, he, you know, he, he was a player who went right around the the early team. Was he t- was he twelve in his draft or it was twelfth or thirteenth? I think it was thirteenth. Yeah. And now twelfth overall under twenty three. He was probably if not the biggest riser, certainly one of the biggest risers uh, throughout the course of last season as a rookie. Uh, can you just take us a little bit into how you've seen your evaluation of him evolve? Well, I mentioned how Luke keeps getting better year after year. Jarvis is, I mean, his development curve is on such a steep upward trend. You look at that draft year where he scored, you know, what it was, 100 points or whatever it was for, for Portland, and it was a big part of them being a big team. Then the next year, as an 18-year-old goes to the American League and just rips it up as an as an as an uh, 18-year-old in that league, a point per game, all situations, driver for a top team. And as a 19-year-old in the NHL, he doesn't start off really high in the lineup for Carolina. He has to kind of work his way into being a full-timer. Then he just keeps getting more and more ice time, scores uh, 40 points as a 19-year-old. And then by the end of the year, into the playoffs, he's like running the first power play unit for Carolina. He's getting regular significant minutes for them and, and you know, being a big reason why they won a playoff series. You look at this player, and he's not the biggest, but his skating is really good. His competitiveness is really good. He makes a ton of plays. He can score goals. I mean, this is, he looks like a, like a future star, in my opinion. And I know he was just a 13th overall pick two years ago. I don't mean to, you know, put unrealistic expectations on this kid, but it's, it's hard to watch his development over the last three years and not have high expectations for him going forward. We talk about especially like the, where, where guys went in their draft, where they're at today. One of the things that stood out to me reading the list was that Brady Kachuk has now ascended on this list to being the top player from that 2018 draft class. Even ahead of Svechnikov plays the same position. I think Svechnikov was right up there. One or two yeah. the last time you did this list. Yeah, no, he was, he fell a little bit this year. I don't think he had a really good year. Probably wasn't, uh, especially in the, in the playoffs. He kind of was just disappointing and, but he's still a great player and you could easily, I think you can. Easily yeah. He's still play. six on this list. Yeah, right. Like, like if someone said, Oh, I think, He's the best player, or I think Darlene is the best player from that draft class. Uh, I think Quinn, I have him as the best player in that draft class. Oh, you know what? You're right. I think of Quinn as being older for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the late birthday thing. That was a common response when I went from, I found from when I was doing this exercise is when the people said, Oh, I didn't know Quinn was still 22. I didn't know Philip Sedina was. Still yeah. 22. And those like, guys are both late birthdays, right? I think they're yeah, both like they'll yeah. be 23 yeah. by, by New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just an interesting, you know, yeah, I think that's a common uh, thought process. And the same thing with Brady. Like, I mean, Brady was is already the captain of an NHL team and he's not 23 years old yet. And he's a late birthday too. So yeah, maybe yeah. I'm just, yeah, yeah. My, my wires are crossed there. But nonetheless, like what did Brady do, I guess, to separate there? Because I, I think it's even, there is a tier break in between those two guys. Yeah, there is. Um, it's, it's a, There is a mild separation for me. And I think with Brady, with Brady, you always saw the things that can make him special. And when he was in the NHL, you know, you saw such an incredible com- a competitor, huge, really physical, had skill and playmaking ability. Uh, but the offense just never clicked at a significant rate. He would get a lot of chances. The shot generation was really high, uh, just but never finished. And then he had the 30 goal season this past year. And he's being a leader for for, for an NHL team, playing big minutes, uh, you know, creating a lot of offense, uh, being uh, you know uh, just an absolute com- you know high end competitor and creating chaos around the net constantly. Um, 
well, you bring all those intangibles and, and how hard he works on the ice and he scores 30 goals too. Uh, and he's already the captain of an NHL team. I think those are components that make you think this guy's going to have a very long and productive NHL career. His teammate, Tim Stutzel, also really uh, number eight on this list. I think he's the first of his class. Uh, yes. And I agree with that call. I, I think Stutzel looks like, especially when you look at the size, skating, skill, and, and, and smarts package that he's got there, like this to me, has the look of a future star for Tim Stutzla. And he, he played some center this year, so that's really appealing to go with that skating. You know, he's, 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 he's on the flank of their first power play unit. He's creating offense. The skating's pretty dynamic. Uh, you know, he hasn't, you know, I think there's more off, a lot more offense to come. Again, he's, he was a teenager in the NHL last year. Could have been in the most recent World Juniors still, but he was already an important player for the Ottawa Senators. And yet this is a guy, I mean, I think if you read to that draft, he would be the first pick. And not, not him with a bullet. I think there would be other guys that would be close in the mix, um, like Alexi Lafreniere, like Lucas Raymond. But but I think this guy is kind of emerging into a star in the National Hockey League right now. And it wouldn't surprise me if he had 60-plus points this upcoming season, presuming he stays healthy. It's really interesting. And, you know, this was already we, – we knew this kind of from going through your pipeline rankings of, of the organizations. But there's a few teams here and that, that have great combinations near the top. And a whole lot of them reside in the Atlantic Division. You, you've got Stutzel and Kachuk for the Ottawa Senators. Sider and Raymond both in the top ten at, at number two and number nine for the Red Wings. Uh, and Buffalo has that collection of, of Darlene, Power, and Cousins – uh, three in the top 20. Uh, Cousins is actually at number 13. Maybe maybe let's start with him there, Dylan Cousins, and uh, how you've seen him develop into one of those top 15 players. I think that was one of the ones that I put there that probably got some of the most disagreement among either you know people I sent the list to, scouts or or fans. But, I, but I'm a big believer in Dylan Cousins. I think this is a guy who uh, is going to have a very bright uh, and, and, uh, and long NHL career. And I know he, he had some good stretches in the NHL last season, but he wasn't overly consistent in terms of being an important player for Buffalo. But I think there's a couple of reasons why I have him rated this high. I think when you look at the, the toolkit, 6'3 center with his skating, his skill, his competitiveness, his scoring ability, I think that's a, that's an incredible uh, tool pa- toolkit package right there. You look at his prior history, whether it's in the WHL or internationally, uh, particularly with, say, the, the prior World Juniors, he typically performs at very high levels. And then the most recent World Championships, where he was you know, on a team with Matthew Barzell, on a team with Pierre Luc Dubois, and he, he excelled and was among the best players in that tournament and on his own team. Uh, that to me is usually when you have a young player like that. Twenty, I think he was twenty or twenty-one at the time at the World Championships, uh, playing at that kind of level. It's usually a really strong indicator to me of future success. Um, it doesn't mean I think he's going to you know be a star as soon as next season, but I think this is a guy who, if you told me. You know he's going to have 50, 60 points next season. Be a really good two-way player. I wouldn't blink. I think this is going to. I think Cousins is going to be a, a great player for a long time. So his his draft class was uh, the end of my first year on the beat. My fir- my first year started with the eighteen draft, and then his was the first. And, and so he's his was the first class that I kind of followed. And I remember being a little down on him in his draft year. I think because. I wasn't sold on maybe the hands, the puck skills, just the raw skill there and how much offense. Sure. I I now look at him, though, and I don't see why he can't become Dylan Larkin-ish. Yeah. Uh, as that kind of, you know, maybe even 70-point player, score 30 goals and, and be a really valuable two-way guy. He's even got a little more size to him than Larkin. Yeah, maybe not as explosive a sure. skater. Like he's a good skater. I don't know if he's like Larkin's skating is just incredible sure. for a guy that size. But but that's kind of where I am with with Cousins. Yeah, he's not. I don't think he's the best at anything. He's not elite skill guy or elite playmaker or even elite goal scorer. But he does so much really well when you have, when you have that size and the skating two down the middle. I think. You know, you have him. You now have the recently extended Tage Thompson now. Um, you know, and that's a, that could be a really interesting one, two punch down the middle there for a long time. And they have options down the middle too. You know, there's a couple players in that organization like Casey Middlestat, like Peyton Krebs, where you ask, they could play center. They could play wing. We'll, we'll kind of play around, you know, Yuri Coolidge, no Oslander probably like that too, where we will kind of play around with them and, and see where the best fits are for all these guys. Uh, with that Red Wings combination, Cider and Raymond, uh, you know we, we've talked about them on this podcast. I don't want to make you do uh, 
do just Red Wing service here for uh, for my followers, certainly. But uh, anything you want to add about those two, just, uh, you know, their combination in the top two. And Cider, obviously, at number two, that's uh, in the same tier as Jack Hughes. I, I think that, you know, when you talk redraft, is, is always a conversation. Oh, it's more than a conversation, I imagine. It's it's a, it's it's a, it's an intense dis- discussion. I would put, <laughs> put it that way. Uh, but I think when you look at Detroit, I think what's really interesting, and you would know from following the organization so closely, is uh, they've done a really good job amassing really high end talent insider in Raymond. Uh, we'll see how Simon Edmondson does in the NHL, but he look he had obviously a very promising year in Florida. And they've done this without ever winning a lottery. Not like winning, like as in getting the first pick. Winning like is even getting a top three pick. Yeah, uh, and they, you know, obviously most of that is guided by how good Cider has has been. You have to give credit to how good Lucas Raymond was as a rookie in the National Hockey League as well, and it looks like a budding star. And like I said, you have those two. You have you have Edvinson. Uh, I, you know, I'm a big Marco Casper fan, but time will tell on on him as well as Edvinson. But but collectively, particularly with Cider and Raymond, getting those kinds of star caliber players outside of the top three, it's not easy to do. I'm really curious to see with Raymond, like how long it takes, because I, I, he obviously is already ahead of schedule. I don't think the Red Wings expect him to make the NHL last year, and he didn't just make it. He made it and scored 20 goals and 57 points and all this, and he was really good right away. I'm curious how long does it take till the next step? Because I don't, I think it's possible he could take it this year. Like, I think you yeah. saw him hit a little bit of a rookie wall. And, sure. And I think he could really hit it, hit the gas this year. Yeah, he's an interesting one. So I'm doing, as part of the Skater Tier project, we do, I do with Dom and, and, uh, and Sean. And, and part of that is we make like a first iteration of the list. And then I send around a bunch of scouts. And it's, I was actually kind of surprised how many people were saying, you got to get Lucas Raymond like into like the top 100 players in the league. Etc. Like, and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, I didn't see that. I didn't see that kind of praise coming for this for a guy who was just a teenager in the NHL, and like I said, kind of slowed down a little bit in the second half. But, but I think everyone appreciates just you know how incredibly skilled and smart this player is, and um, I think the question with him is, can he do it even strength consistently? We know yeah. like he's gonna on the power, he's gonna get his power play points. He's gonna be a big part of the Red Wings power play both next season and for a very long time. Uh, but with that, you know, with with his physical maturity, can he get it done even strength consistently? I think that's going to be the big question for him in the near term. In the long term, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, and, and I think you know he, he'll as he adds strength, it just gets easier and easier. But the reason that I think he will is that there was not a part of the ice that he wouldn't go to last year, and that he didn't that he wasn't effective in already. And so I, that's why I think you could see it as soon as this year. I agree, long term, it's it's really not even a question for me. But uh, that's why I think short term, you could see it pretty quick here. Uh, a couple other guys I, I wanted to talk about. Evan Bouchard is in the top 20 here at number 19. And I, every, I think everyone likes Evan Bouchard. He had a great year. But what, what, what I thought was really notable was his placement above, in the abstract, I don't think top 20 would have sounded crazy to me. But, but when you see it and he's above Power, Sanderson, Nemitz, Dobson, uh, a guy who's proven he can score at, at a crazy level uh, in the NHL. Uh, what elevated him? I, I know he's, it's close to some. I think he's one spot above power and all that. But yeah, I don't know. That's one that I've, I got some pushback on uh, too. And I wasn't always the biggest Evan Bouchard believer. I this is a guy who kind of skyrocketed up for me after his play this past season. But I think you have to give the guy credit for for the year he had. You know, maybe didn't score say as much as Dobson. I think Dobson had like five to ten more points. But I think the difference is you know Bouchard played on the Edmonton Oilers. He you know played on a team that was having a lot of success. He was a big part for. Uh, of their success, um, you know, scoring 40 points and, uh, you know, being a tough four defenseman. You, you watched him in those, in those tougher games. You watched him in the playoffs. This is a guy who was making, who's making plays in those high leverage games and, and, and helping his team win. I know with, with his, he's not an amazing skater and, and thus maybe not, maybe will never be the best defender in the world. He's got a good enough size and sense that I think he'll be okay enough, uh, in that regard. But yeah, when you see him in the off, in the offensive half of the ice, He's got just tremendous hockey sense. He makes so many plays. That shot's a legit threat. You know, this is going to be a PP1 guy, I think, in the NHL um, uh, for quite some time. He's going to put up a lot of points for the Oilers. And I can listen. I can see Argus Pickles on other guys. You can say, you know, I might be leaning too much to what he did in that one year for the Oilers. And you can say, well, those guys, whether it's Nemeth, whether it's Power, whether it's, uh, you know, even Dobson, they might, argue they have, might have more potential. And I can, and I can see the argument. But uh, you, I mean, he had a hell of a year. Like I think you got to give him real a lot of credit. And guys who play like that at his age, 
tend to become really important players for a very long time. What did what kind of feedback did you get on Lucas Reichel at 28? A guy you got above Lindell, above Caulfield, uh, obviously, uh, you know, some of the same defensemen that we're talking about, above Kent Johnson. I think some of the readers pushed back, but I didn't really hear much from like scouts. Yeah, that I think they mostly thought that one made sense. I mean, he's going to be like a top six forward for the Chicago next season. Might even be on the top line for Chicago next season, and kind of that in that Debrinkat spot. I mean, I think this is a guy who was a point per game guy in the American League as a teenager. Uh, has you know goes to the worlds like he did the other the other year looks like a really important player for Germany. You know has all the tools, skating skill, hockey sense. He competes well. He can score. Uh, I I don't think there's a lot of you know you got minor quibbles here and there, but I, sure. I think I think most people in the industry think this is guys this guy's a big time player. Um, kind of the and he's kind of like the last uh, remnant of the past regime in terms of things that you know because obviously they just tra- they just traded Doc. Too and and probably Kane and Taser are going at some point here. So, uh, but he's I think going to be a big part of Chicago's future. But I mean, right. I, I thought I thought Doc would be that too. So, <laughs> so well, I don't okay, want to. Let's go to him because he's another interesting one. Like, what a tough evaluation case he is. You have him at forty one. Um, it, it's still this case of like he's had some time here to to do it and it hasn't happened, and yet he's still this big tooled up center. And we kind of know that oftentimes big tooled up centers do take a little longer. Yeah. But with doc, he's also uh, historically been inconsistent. I mean, you go, but you told me how about you talking about that 2019 draft, you go back to there and that yeah. was the big debate with doc is yeah, he has all these tools, but it would have been nice if you scored more than like a point per game. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be a top five pick, but we see the tools and that's kind of still the argument with him. And that's why he had like, and you know, that's why he got so excited after his great rookie season in Chicago. Like, oh, okay, now it's coming. It's coming now. Like he is, you know, the, 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 you know, it's, it's all coming together for him. And then, then it kind of doesn't. Uh, then he kind of takes down a little bit. But he's still so young. And again, you know, we have six four center who can skate like he can, who can make plays like he can, who has the skill he does. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about there. But there's also a reason why he was moved at such a young age, and it's because I think there's some those inconsistencies uh, need or have. Have and continue to be an issue, and we'll see whether Montreal can bring out the real player in him on a, on a long term basis. I do think it's interesting, like just even narrative wise. Uh, Cousins had a good year last year. I think he had close to forty points. Has Cousins been like that much better in terms of no. production than Doc no, in the NHL? No, and that's what kind of I was actually having that question with NHL people throughout the year. Like, would you take Doc or Cousins? Doc or Cousins? And I think most people would come back with it's close, essentially. Um, but I think you look at, I would say, you hate to hold it against the player, but when a guy gets traded, you start to ask yeah. more questions about the player. Sure. And whether that's right or wrong, and I think with at least Cousins doesn't have that attached to him right now. Well, you, first of all, it's because teams always know more than anyone else about their own players. And so that sure. immediately raises some alarm or raises some flags, alarm bells, whatever you want to call it. But to me, I think the reason I would take Cousins is is the motor, and and sure. I, you know whether that's related to the consistency or not. I just think I th- I don't see any world where Dylan Cousins is not a really valuable piece of of any team in the league at some point. And I think you can look at worlds for Kirby Doc where you you start to be looking for lineup spot, not lineup spots, but like you know prime roles for him. I think Cousins is in a prime role almost no matter what. Yeah, I would tend to agree. All right. Uh, last guy I wanted to ask you about. This was was from. Uh, I'm going to pull it up from the mailbag, so I, I I don't have it in front of me to see who asked it. But Matias Samuelson wasn't on here, and I didn't notice that the first time I went through it. But I did think that was interesting when we're talking about a guy who was a 20 minute a night defenseman last season. I know sure. basically the cutoff for the tier I think you had was middle pair, right? And so yeah. you could argue, you know, like is he clear cut middle pair? But obviously there's a path to it. Yeah, and I think I said that in my Samuelson write-up for Buffalo. I said I think he's a third-pair guy with a chance to be a, a legit second-pair guy. Um, and this is kind of – I, I get the debate. Like, so I'm sure Buffalo fans would argue to you, hey, he's already a tall forward defenseman. What what the hell? Um, to which, you know, I can see, well, you know, he did that for a stretch last year for sure. Maybe you want to see it a little bit more consistently just because I do still have the offense and the puck-moving questions with him a little bit. Uh, but I get it. I like Samuelson. He's a, you know he's big, mobile, really physical, uh, and there, I think he has first pass offense. Those guys are not easy to find. And if you really want to twist my arm and say no, he should be in there. He should be a tough. He's a tough four defenseman. I'll be like, yeah, no, I, I see the case. Uh, I'm not going to argue too strenuously against that. 
my argument against that would be if you dropped him onto a legit middle of the pack team, is he for sure a top four defenseman? You know, maybe, maybe not. I kind of see him in his peak, kind of like that, maybe like a like a Joel Edmondson type of guy, where you know, maybe on, a, on not a great team, he's a second pair defenseman. Maybe on a better team, he's kind of like a four or five type of guy. I don't know, do you think that's fair? I do. And in, in Buffalo, obviously, the two guys he's behind, it's, you know, the minutes on the left side are going to be really hard to come. Right. I'm sure you could play one as off wing, though, or one, yeah. of those, one of those guys are going to be played on as off wing. But yeah, I think Dallin and Power are going to take a lot of ice time up over the next uh, decade there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the, ultimately, if if you're not going to have a ton of offense, you have to be kind of Brett Pesci, Adam Pellick good defensively to to earn those kind of minutes. And you know, that's just a high bar. It's not saying he, he's not, he can't be really good. It's, but to get those kind of minutes to be a true top four guy on a good team, that's kind of what you have to be if, you, if you're mostly defense. Yeah, I agree. And that, Adam Pellick is a, is a good discussion point because, you know, when the Islanders were winning, he was kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, the dream of what that kind of player looks like. And then when your team isn't winning, it's like, okay, now this is just this big mobile yeah. defenseman. It doesn't generate a lot of offense. He's like, okay, nice player, but, you know, we, we'd we'd like more impact in general, and as opposed to you know, when you compare him to say like what Noah Dobson is doing, right? Absolutely. All right, I think that's going to do it for uh, this portion of the list. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with a mailbag. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When you're trying to grow a business, the caliber of person you bring in to help you do that is really important. And LinkedIn makes it really easy to interview the right people for the role, quality people. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional. On LinkedIn, 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NHL show. That's linkedin.com slash NHL show to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Corey, uh, mailbag. You remember how to do one of these? We haven't done one in a while. Uh, I guess I'll just start here. Uh, very simple question from SKH406. Who is being hired to share the Minnesota job with Mike Russo? That, that feels like our question to answer. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm I would be perfectly happy uh, to share this with SKH. Um, and the answer is, ouch! I don't know how, but but Mike Russo just punched me from all the way across <laughs> the country. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm guessing he's he's like shaking his head at me. He says I can't answer that. So so sorry. I guess can't we got to hold that. off. He he's the boss here. He's the real boss of the operation. So uh, probably probably best to not uh, spoil his news. But we'll, we'll move on to the next one here from James K. Corey, you mentioned you're sticking your neck out with your Nolan Foot prediction. Uh, what other predictions are you sticking your neck out on? Oh, that, yeah. I mean, I'm not actually sticking my neck out. Whether I'm right or wrong, I'll be fine. <laughs> I think. We'll, we'll find out. Um, but, um, You'd be sticking couple... your neck out if you answered the question about Russo. <laughs> yes, that one I probably would. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that would be a whole thing. Uh, but to answer this question more specifically... You know, there's a couple of guys who maybe they're not the, the shiniest names in the prospect world, or maybe they they were at one point, they've kind of faded a little bit. You know, I look at where I say I have Barrett Hayton, who obviously was the fifth overall pick by Arizona, had a really good post-draft year in, in the OHL, then he turned pro, and it's kind of been just a rocky couple of years since he turned since he turned pro. But I think that's just a deference to one, how young he is and what I think he can do. And I, you know, he did, Arizona was a, was a true, true bottom feeder last season. 
but he played big minutes at times with them, played an important role. I thought he had some stretches of success there. I see some skill. I see some two-way ability uh, that I think will translate to success uh, over time, and he can play down the middle. I look at Olin Zellweger and Kalen Addison's placement where history tends to – we're having another question going to address this later, but history tends to say that small defensemen don't usually have that kind of success where they're important tough or defensemen. There aren't that many of them in the NHL. But I think with both Zellweger and Addison, they're both tremendous skaters and and both have really high levels of hockey sense where I think if, if, if you're going to do it, they, they kind of look like that, I think. And you look at just how dominant particularly Zellweger was in the in the dub last year and had a really good recent World Juniors. I think that guy's got a really good chance to be the next small defenseman success story. I look at Kirill Marchenko, too, who has all the tools. It's easy to make the argument, but he wasn't even a full-timer in the KHL last season. He went up and down between the K and the VHL. I think, to me, there's just a difference to what I think the player can be. When you have a 6'3 winger with his skating, his skill, his playmaking ability, I think it's going to work. I think he's going to be a good player for Columbus next season. But it's you know I can see it not working, too. All right, on to the next one, which is from Grimlock L. Corey, Owen Tippett aged out of your U23 rankings. How would he have ranked if he were eligible? Is he still a top six forward in your eyes, or was his point and a half point per game in the AHL a mirage? I think he's a top six forward. I don't know if he's ever going to live up to the, the true top 10 billing that he had, or where I, I used to rate him really, really highly. Uh, but I think this is a top six forward. I mean, you look at all the assets he has. Uh, you know, he has got decent frame. He skates well. He has a great shot. He has, I think, high end puck skills. And, you know, his consistency has never been the best, and I don't think it will be the best going forward. But I think there's components there to help the Flyers. He's, you know, he's never going to replace Claude Giroux. And I, you know, I, it's, you know, I, that, that name will, will be attached to Giroux, I think, for a long time, for better or for worse. But I think he's a very good player. You should get a lot of opportunity, too, in, in Philly oh, yeah. going forward. Going oh, yeah. from Florida to Philly, that should really help his opportunity. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Jose T says, Corey, after goalies, which player types are tougher to analyze? Do you like how all these questions are addressed to you? Nobody get, cares what I think at all. Uh, <laughs> which, which player types are tougher to analyze? It seems defensive defensemen or, or defensive with low offensive production are challenging. If I'm not mistaken, you're a bit low on Marino, Ferraro, or Ryan Lindgren. And it wasn't odd given their NCAA modest numbers. On your global ranking, there were a lot of 5'11 offensive defensemen compared to taller defensive D. For example, it's strange to see Addison way higher than strong defenders such as Romanov or Gouli when these two seem a lot more valid in the NHL. Anyway, I'd be happy to hear your take on this. Please keep up the good work. Right. And to your point about the address, you know, when we put out the questions for this mailbag, it's usually done by me where I will <laughs> put out a tweet or a or we act on our uh, real-time section of our app. I will put out a request for comments, so they see my name. It's not you doing it. So I don't I'm not think. actually I, I, offended. It, when I get <laughs> questions like this, I ask you. So I'm not actually offended, but I just thought it was funny. And I think Jose's question is, you know, legit. Like he's poking, you know, poking at, you know, at Marino, Ferraro, Ryan Lindgren, who I, who I underrated at the time. I think with those guys, it's they're it's challenging. I think you know, and it's why you see the success rate of forwards in the NHL are higher than they are for defensemen, and they are higher than they are for goaltenders. Is that with defensemen, you got to get if a guy, yeah, it's kind of a balance between. You can see the offense. You can see when a guy has good offense or not. That that's obvious. When they're going to be good up defensively, if the skating is truly elite, if the competitiveness is truly elite, given if they have no offense. You know, Ryan Lindgren is a perfect example of this. This guy had very little offense in college. He had very little offense as a in the American League, but he was such a good skater and really his competitiveness was so good that he found a way to kind of etch out a niche as a top four to, you know, middle of the lineup defenseman, even though he's not that big too. Mm -hmm. He's average, average size defenseman. Um, so I think that is fair. Um, and something I thought about when I was kind of looking through it, I'm like, ah, it's Philip Broberg too low, 6'3 defenseman who skates like that. You know, maybe he could be above some of those smaller guys. These are things that kind of balance. You know, I I had guys like Ferravari and Keandre a little bit lower when I was doing my first draft. I'm like, no, they need to go higher because they, they're such good defenders. Uh, and, I mean, it's a fair question. It's a fair to ask whether it's a hole in my evaluation process. I do think it's interesting because I think there's kind of a temptation every time a guy doesn't score a ton to think, oh, he's this great defensive defenseman. Sometimes it's just 
a guy. Like he's a third pair guy. And you need those guys. Right. But like I, not everyone is Eric Chernak either. Like Chernak's a, a great defensive shutdown. He's probably a perfect example of a guy who goes way higher than he would have in his draft year. But you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. There's probably, you know, there's a quite a few of them in the American League. Like I'd say a Dennis Gilbert type who's an amazing skater and physical but has literally no puck game and just can't get out of the American League. So there, you know, there's there's guys who look offensive who don't make it, and there's guys who look very defensive who don't make it. It's you know, if they, it's projecting uh, teenagers is never easy. I will say of some of those guys that uh, Jose mentioned, I, I would bet on Gooley to to become one of those kind of. I I really like the traits there. Oh yeah, for sure. No, he's an he's he is a high end defender. I don't yeah. doubt that. Yeah, uh, David M. If Mason McTavish doesn't stick with the Ducks this season, what's his best development path? Going back to junior seems like a waste, but he can't play in the AHL yet. Could he be loaned to a team in Europe? I just, I, I mean, I agree with him. I think him going back to the OHL would kind of be a little redundant. But I, I might be naive, and I know how hard it is to make the NHL. But I have a hard time not seeing that guy in the NHL next season. Like he. I, the, that was a watered-down World Junior. Like, let's be realistic about what, what that tournament really was. But he just looked so above and beyond everybody there. He had a great season overall. Uh, I just – I can't – and he was good in, in his brief time in the NHL last season in his camp, his American League time, et cetera. Like, I, I just think he's an NHL player already. Yeah, some teams want to wait until their, their player is going to, like, dominate. But you could very easily see Mason McTavish having – Cole Sillinger's season from a year ago, which I think was perfectly fine and probably beneficial for Sillinger. Yeah, yeah, I think he would be better. I think he'd be better than him than this yeah. personally. Not not better than him this upcoming season, but better than the year he just had personally. Yeah, no, I, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, and I, I think and so. I think if you're going to get that out of him, you don't have to hesitate at all. I, you're right; it's hard to do, but but uh, I, I think I, I'm not too worried about McTavish not not being able to play in the NHL this year. Uh, Daryl W. In your U23 rankings, you have Benir Slavkovsky and Wright lined up in order. With Luke Hughes having not signed with the Devils, would this trio be your Calder favorites? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I would probably wouldn't say there's the clear ones. I think they'd all be in the mix. I probably wouldn't have Slavkovsky. I would probably want, just because of age differences, I probably would lean towards McTavish, if should he make it, and and Power even, just because again they're a little bit old, they're older than than Wright and Slavkovsky are. I don't even, is it even? I don't even think it's a hundred percent guarantee. Ryan Slavkovsky are in the NHL Correct. all season. Like I think they both have really good chances, but I wouldn't even say it's a. I, other than you know, Beniers, I think is a lock, but I don't think those two are locks. Yeah, no, I I think those three you said too. Uh, Beniers, McTavish, remind me the third you just said. Power. Yeah, power are, are would be my three. Uh, who do you think? Why do you think Capo Caco hasn't come on uh, as well or quickly as expected? Is it skating? Is it just opportunity or minutes? Looks great sometimes protecting the puck, but hasn't been productive. Does he still have that upside? This goes to to the point of the U23 rankings, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, there was a point where I had Kako a lot higher, and I just, he's kind of crept down as time went on. It's kind of that balance you got to make between looking at their opportunity, looking at the toolkit and what they're doing, and, and kind of balancing all those things. It's why I say Alexi Lafreniere, despite also not having a ton of production, is still really highly ranked, because I still... I look at the Rangers and I think this is kind of a unique situation where these guys are coming into a competitive team. Uh, that first power play is absolutely loaded. Opportunity has been scarce, but they're winning and they're playing, and particularly, you know, they're playing important roles, strictly Lafreniere in that playoff run. Uh, so that is a balance. You know, you, for example, we had Jack Hughes rated really highly there for a couple of years. We had Dalene rated highly there for a couple of years, even when things weren't going their way in the NHL. And then time passes and it looked, that looks obvious. That, oh yeah, they should have been highly rated, but that was I, I had some criticism of that, and but also had criticism of Kako being rated so highly, and probably you know with time maybe he should have been rated a little bit lower. Those are all balancing things you need to do. When Kako was a draft eligible, I mean it's it's easy to be play you know you know look at things in hindsight and say oh you know he was he was overrated, but that guy was incredible in his draft year. He was a dominant player in Liga. He goes to that world championship and he was one of the best players there. He won a gold medal playing an important role at the World Juniors for Finland. This looked like this really skilled and intelligent and physically dominant winger. Um, I think when since what we've seen in the NHL is, I think in those first few years, the physical dominance wasn't there. I think it was better this past season. And then the question is, okay, well, he had a showed a ton of skill when he was draft eligible. Now it's like, oh, he has offense, he has skill, but it's not 
it doesn't jump off the page at you. Like I thought it would when he was younger, but the skating concerns were always there. I think we knew that coming in. It was just, we thought there'd just be more pure offense. Do you remember at, at Traverse city, the year that he yes. was there, he played like one game. Yeah, I think he had a hat trick. He was completely dominant and three on three. Like it, it was not an, an obvious thing in hindsight that there was going to be, I, I think I probably would have said he would have been quicker to, than Hughes to succeed in the NHL. Yeah, I think because the skating issues, you always wonder, you always worried a little bit, like how is it, how is it going to happen when he gets to the NHL pace? Can he play two games and and be that and that successful? But yeah, I thought there would be more offense. I thought the skill level was higher than he's shown at the NHL right now, and that it might still be yet to come. He's getting he's still a young player. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's pick it back up, Corey, with this question from Jimmy M. I'm going to shorten down what he wrote here, but he's kind of talking about the big picture setup of the Eastern Conference, where you have uh, this this top-heavy Atlantic division, this really deep metro, some rebuilders coming in the Atlantic. The question is, who do you see as the most likely to be pressing for those last two spots up for grabs for the Atlantic metro, those two wild cards? Yeah, and I think it's going to be – it's probably the most interesting thing that came out of the pipeline ranking series for me as you look at just how much young talent is, is there in the East right now. You know, we had Buffalo at one, uh, Detroit and New Jersey at two and three, Ottawa at five, uh, and and Detroit and Ottawa are still top five on the cusp of adding a lot of talent in the offseason as well. You know, Columbus still a respectable team as well. They were in, they were in the top twelve. Uh, Montreal in the top ten, but probably still a bit younger in in their rebuild process. So I think it's it's really kind of the most interesting part of the, of the Eastern Conference right now is is you know you look at Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh particularly, and and the question is kind of well when does when do those eras end? Essentially, Are those those long successful eras, particularly in Pittsburgh and Washington. Yeah, and then you can even look. I'd say a team like the Islanders too in, the, in all this mix and be like, well, you know, they also didn't have a great year, but they clearly believe in themselves that they'll get back to, to form. They didn't really make any changes in the offseason to indicate otherwise. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. You know, if I had to pick out the, the two teams to me that could make the, be the, big, the biggest risers in the near term, it would be, I think, Detroit and Ottawa. I think those are teams that both have good skater groups, really good young talent coming up. And both have at least attempted to address the goaltending questions. Whereas I think I, I would argue, like, I think New Jersey's skater group is better than either of them currently. But is Mackenzie Blackwood or Vitek Vanacek the question in goal? I don't know. If they act, if New Jersey had average goaltending right now, if you can tell me, if you can tell me they're going to have a 9 13 team save percentage next season, I would, I would pick them, but I can't. I can't say that confidently right now. Well, I think it's interesting too. Detroit and Ottawa are, are the two teams who tried to step on the gas. Like in free agency and in trades, they were probably the two most active right. uh, free agent you know teams. 
whereas you look long term, I, I do wonder if that answer doesn't change to Buffalo and New Jersey a little bit, because I think you love both of those. I mean, Detroit, I guess, was a little ahead of New Jersey in your rankings, but you love both of these pipelines. And New Jersey does have a, a fair bit of talent already. You got Dougie Hamilton in that mix. Uh, I, it, that could change I, the answer if we're talking about three years from now. Yeah, I like John. I like the addition of John Marino into that into that dynamic where I think you're going to see a top four, the future of some combination of Luke Hughes, uh, Simon Nemich, Dougie Hamilton, John Marino. You know, I think that's a really good defensive group to go with the talent they have up front. Yeah, but I think in the near term, just because I think you know we'll see. But I think Ottawa and Detroit did better. You know, obviously, like I said, they stepped on the gas. They addressed both just their goaltending. Uh, uh, you know. Troy through free agency, Ottawa through trade, and to complement all the young talent they have coming up, they're trying. They ag- they're aggressively trying to turn that corner this upcoming season. But yeah, I think just you look at. I think agree with Buffalo, New Jersey. I think if they fix that goaltending question, which I, I think it's more of an open question for Buffalo, New Jersey than it would be for Ottawa and Detroit right now. But we'll see how the season goes. Then I would probably pick them. But that's just where I am right now in my assessment of those organizations. How about this? Buffalo's got uh, some goalies in the pipeline, uh, but one of them happens to share a locker room with Luke Hughes. How about uh, Luke doing a little recruiting of uh, of Eric Portillo for uh, on behalf of his future team this season? Well, Eric Portillo can go to free agency in August, so that's that's going to that you know that's what I mean. Yeah, Luke, Luke getting a little jump on the recruiting subtly, I guess. I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that that might might be some violations there. But um... right, never mind, I, I retract it. Uh, <laughs> Mark Anton Paquin says, uh, "What do you think about Tage Thompson? This is a great question. Tage Thompson's deal." What did you think about him as a prospect? And is he really a 40-goal, 70-points guy? For those who didn't see, Tage Thompson signed a 7 times 7 deal uh, last week, uh, which I think is a fascinating contract. He had an amazing season. one of oh, the, yeah. Probably the breakout season in the NHL last year. Uh, outstanding year, nearly 40 goals. Uh, but it is the first big season he's ever had, and, and he comes out of it with a long-term 7 times 7 deal. Uh, what, did you, what was your reaction? I thought it seemed a little high, but – the cap at some point is going to go up, and if that is not a fluke, then it is going to be a bargain. Yeah, no, I I tend to agree. Uh, a friend and I were looking over uh, Jacob Slavin's contract the other day with Carolina, which was a seven-year deal for five and a half a year. And probably there were some people who, at the time it was signed, probably thought, oh, that's a lot of money for Jacob Slavin. Just like when people thought saw what Romeosi got way back when, they're like, oh, that's a lot. You know, you know, a lot. That's a lot of money for those guys, but. There, it, it's a gamble, and it could flame out. Or you know, like I said, if the cap goes up, and this is a guy's maybe I don't know if he's gonna be consistently around that 40, 30, 38, 40 goal. Let's say he's a consistent twenty eight to thirty three goal score, fifty to sixty points, you know, playing heavy minutes down the middle. Yeah, I think in five years you're you're probably dancing if if the cap even goes up a little bit at at, at that number. Uh, and so Tage Thompson's development is interesting. I did like him as a prospect. I thought he was a very good prospect. I think the skating got a little bit better than I thought he was. I thought he was a kind of a heavy skater when he was younger. I don't think he's a burner now, but he skates quite well for such a massive guy. I always loved the shot, which again, you know, goal scorer, not so really surprising. I loved his skill. What was what I didn't see coming was him becoming a center. Never mind a first line center in the National Hockey League. He was always a winger for me, and that's. You know, we've, we've talked a lot sometimes on the podcast about if you're a center or if you're a winger, and this guy kind of, for at least for me, came out of nowhere and all of a sudden became a legitimate high in the lineup center. And, you know, those guys are valuable. I mean, like I said, is he 7 million valuable? You know, time will tell. I think, I think, I don't know if he's going to hit 38 consistently. I don't see that level, but I can see, like I said, 28 to 32, 23, you know, something, something around there. And if you're playing down the middle and you're a valuable, you can do that, you know, at a, Effective level of even strength, I, I don't, I don't hate it. And like I said, I think him and Dylan Cousins could be a really good one-two combo down the middle, both with a lot of size and offense. What I, other thing I thought was interesting is the Sabers kind of got burned the last time they did this, which was on Jeff Skinner, who had more track record. Yeah, uh, was still you know, his first year in Buffalo did something similar, and and they kind of got burned on it. What does the floor need to be for Tage Thompson to just let's say the cap goes up a little bit? And Skinner was a little years. bit older though, I believe. Right? Yes, that's true. Yes. But what does the floor need to be for Thompson production-wise to justify this? 25, 55 kind of thing? Yeah, yeah I think if I think if he's scoring about 25, if he's doing 25 goals, 50 points, you're not ecstatic at that cap hit. But I think, especially with the size he has and that he'll be able to provide some probably some two-way value uh, given that, 
I, I think you can you can tolerate it, especially with all the other young pieces that are coming up. You got to pay somebody, and I'd rather pay the younger guy who just who can score. And and getting a premium center is not easy. We'll see whether he's a premium center long term, but I'd rather pay that guy than the the small winger. All right, I'm going to tack on one more of this. I'm I'm just taking over this question. What do you think this means for Jason Robertson, a guy who's kind of made this kind of production? Uh, r- routinely in the last couple of years, I guess, you know, two times, but uh, the Thompson con I mean, the stars owner came out publicly the, uh, last week and was talking about, uh, seemed to be talking about uh, potentially what, what young players want to be paid and all that. To me, when I saw the Tage Thompson contract, I think Jason Robertson, it's, it's probably very good for him. No, I think that's a, that's a great point. And Jason Robertson, who just scored the same level uh, as Tage, you know, I think he had more points around the, around the same number of goals I think that if I was the team, you would argue the center versus winger thing a little bit to try and get the number down. Uh, but and you might argue there was also some line effects there that that whole top line for for, the, for Dallas they all they all you know three really good players there. Uh, but I, I wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Robertson come away with that similar type of cap hit on that kind of contract, or at least be holding firm for that kind of number. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Leo B, Corey, in your 2021 list of U23 players, you had Brant Clark at number 47. This year, he dropped to 87 on your list. What did you see from this past year that you decided to drop him so many spots on the list? I'll get to that in one second, but I just to I'll go back to the Robertson for one more second. I did think it was strange seeing that comment from the Stars ownership. Yeah, wasn't but, it? Yeah. Like, 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 I would rather pay Jason Robertson than have guys who are older and not producing getting a lot of money. Just my opinion but anyways uh going and he to, has a couple examples of that on on his cap sheet by the way yeah well he took shots at tyler sagan and jamie ben i saw too, that too uh, but it's you like you, you want to have it both ways with those comments then right i don't know yeah i think that's just i maybe some gamesmanship who knows anyways yeah. to brent clark uh ozzy brent clark had a very good season he was one of the more one of the top defensemen in the ohl uh this past season uh, his puck skills, his offensive hockey sense are 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 great. He he can do so many good things in the offensive half of the ice. Uh, I think with Brandt, it it really I, I always had issues with the skating, but I did lower the skating grade one notch uh, this past season. It's not because he, he became slower. Sometimes just obviously we barely watched him last season, so you probably didn't get enough to appreciate it. And um, whether I'm right or wrong, time will tell. But I I just lowered the skating grade and just like I said I. That's kind of the argument of Brandt is like I think in the junior level he's a fine defender because he's so smart and he competes really well, uh, but I think that that uh, you know it's a it's, I mean, you've watched you did you watched me I know you did a breakdown of him in his in his draft yeah. year, you know that knock kneed skating stride is ugly like it's and if I I tried to like talk to people around the NHL about Brandt about that issue particularly and maybe you have an answer Max but. You know, who in the NHL looks like that? Like who has that kind of skating stride? I, I don't have an answer to that. And I, it's, a, it's a very good question. I, I'm sure if you're watching a game, you could probably pick out one guy per game who you could say, hey, you know, maybe it can work like that. But it, it, some, it is. Some, some scouts told me John Klingberg skated like that coming up. And okay. I watched him as an amateur, but I obviously don't remember that particular detail so much. If true, that would be interesting. But But yeah, it's a. It's a really unique skating stride. And I still think Brandt's going to be a very good player. I don't think he's not, I don't think he's going to miss. I think he's going to be a top four defenseman in the National Hockey League. But I think, you know, that's kind of why Team Canada left him off their U20 team, both in the winter and in the summer, is that just some concerns there on how well he can defend and play at a fast pace with, with those feet. I mean, he will be a big part, I think, of the upcoming December team. Uh, but, uh, but I think that's, that's, a, that's the big debate. It always has been with Brandt, and, and it still is. Well, how about this? Let's let's give Kings fans a dose of optimism here. Would it stun you if Brant Clark became Evan Bouchard? Uh, no, it wouldn't. I think he has the same level of of hockey sense and and skill. Like, and I think he's even a better defender at the same age than Bouchard was. But yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that Bouchard was a slightly better skater at the same age too. Yeah, but you're but like that. That's what you're hoping for if you're the right. Best. I wouldn't call Brant a better defender. I think he's more physical, more competitive than Bouchard was. Okay. All right, uh, on to the next one we got from Kane's Prospects. Uh, in your pipeline rankings, you rated Justin Robodeau an elite skater. What sort of tools does a player need to possess in order for you to give them that high rating? We talked about this a little bit earlier with, with Quinn Hughes. This is a really 
the the point is you don't want to have very many guys with this elite grade, right? It's supposed to be by definition almost impossible. Right, and that's why I'm still I'm high on Robin despite him being a midish round pick and being a tiny player. As I think his you just watch him on when you you watch his ships and the guy just flies around the ice. It's a combination of his skating and a high motor. Like he just he when he brings the puck up the ice, he he burns past guys. He's buzzing all around the offensive zone. You know, the question with him is like, does he have a ton of skill and playmaking ability at that size? Is it really going to work? Uh, but like, I think he has a game that will translate to the pros. I think he, that's why I think he's got a good chance to be on the upcoming World Junior team. I don't think he's a, not a lock. When we did our protected roster, he wasn't on the team. But I could see with a big year, I believe he just got traded to the Quebec Rampart. So he's going to have a lot of talent around him. Uh, I can see him building a case for himself. Ramson says, who are a few of the top players outside the NHL that are not signed or drafted? Any gems in other leagues that need to get a look at the NHL level? Uh, I wish I had the answer to that question. I mean, there's a couple of college free agents uh, that didn't get signed. I think, um, I remember the top of my head now, uh, there's the one kid from North Dakota and there's the one kid from Mankato. Uh, I would need to pull up. Reese Gaber is the kid from, from North Dakota, who I think a lot of people are going to uh, – um, be interested in this upcoming season. And the defenseman from Mankato is uh, Jake Livingstone. I think those are the, at least early on, those are the two guys that I know going into next season, but I'm sure things are going to change. Uh, Logan Horn says, what do you think is the biggest inefficiency in modern NHL draft philosophy? Is it players height? Gives the example, Logan Stankoven, a lack of trust. Who, who, in- who, who has zero NHL games? That is right. Uh, lack of trust in junior leagues outside of the CHL. He gives the example of Cal McCarr. He's got a few NHL games. Uh, and late date of birth, he gives the example of LeCaramaki in 2022. Or he says, is it something else? Who also has zero NHL games? <laughs> well, it's not like that a, late of birthday, right? Is he he's uh, June or July? Uh, I guess July. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember, because I remember, I always make that little comment because I had people like, like I think with like the Dustin Wolf thing went up uh, when I had my like whatever a hundredth or something on the on the U twenty three, uh, like I heard you know how is Dustin Wolf this low and you know or I hear people would say something about Wolf and Levi like oh you know the small goalie things overrated you look at Wolf yeah. and Levi who have a combined one NHL game between them it's like you know right. you gotta if you're gonna prove that that thing doesn't work they actually gotta actually prove it you know there's a lot of great american league players don't become great nhl players and i really like both of them you know i where i have wolf rated right now you know would be a guy if i was drafting him in that draft again i'd be targeting him in the first round of the draft like yeah. that's a you know I've massive uptick from where he was actually picked but you still gotta prove it uh and that's why i made that quick about stan coven and, and liquor uh which and i think i don't think when i talk to nhl anymore i don't think height is something that people like overlook Personally, I think it's just it's an issue, and but you know they see how many small players are successful in the NHL, um, and I don't think it's you know you have the debate about what works in the playoff, et cetera, but I don't think that's really an issue, too much of an issue. I think the late birthday thing is not an issue at all. I think everyone's aware of that. Everyone who works in the NHL is aware of how the birth date issue works in the NHL, where you have this September fifteenth thing and it pushes guys back, and you have to adjust for all those things. The one thing that I struggle with, and we have we have, we discuss this issue sometimes on, on the pod, is I, I do wonder if the premium position scale is tilted a little too much. Where I understand that centers and defensemen are worth more, I value them more. There's no doubt about it. I do wonder though if good wingers get killed too often in the draft in favor. That would be the one area that, at least in my that opinion, would apply to Lekaramaki too. Lekaramaki and Joachim Kamel both. Yes. That's, you know, Daniela Yurov would be another one yep. to, you know, that's, you know, and the whole Russian thing's a whole other issue that's so complicated. We can, I don't know if I, we were to talk about that one because that would. We don't have time. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but I think that's, that is the one that for me, I struggle with. I wonder if the pen, I understand why they are worth more. There's no question about it in my mind, but it's, the question is, has the pendulum swung up too far? I think in the like yeah. past draft. How many wingers were in the top 15? Like one or two? It was like McGrordy and I'm trying to think of anybody else like at the really, really top of the draft went in the top 15. Slavkovsky. Slavkovsky, first overall pick. Uh, depends whether you think Cutter Goche is a winger or a yeah. center, right? But I think, didn't they draft him as a center? 
Yeah, and then and then Lekaramaki at fifteen. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just all centers and defensemen. Right. It's fair. I mean, like I I agree with the wisdom. I'm I'm centers and defensemen above uh, all the way, but. There is always a point where good adv- advice can lead you the wrong way if you if you don't if you if you follow it too religiously, uh, it, it can happen. So I, I think there's a fair argument to be had there. Uh, Weebrister says, "Who are some players that you had given up on as prospects but turned out fantastic later?" This is a maybe a little bit of optimism for people who have heard or or read you uh, down on on one of their players. Uh, that maybe maybe who's the guy that you were down on, maybe even out on, who turned out to be really good? Really good is interesting. There's been guys I've been down on that hit maybe rebound a little bit. Like I thought Tolvanen was was trending in a bad direction. He turns into a regular player for the Nashville Predators. Um, but I wouldn't say he's like a top player sure. for them. Um, the, the word in the question was fantastic. So I would think that means like top half of the lineup. Yeah, like guys I thought were just going to be absolutely terrible or something like that, or just like not. Or, or guys that, that you had given up on. So they probably like a first round pick who you were like, nope, it's going the wrong way. But then they got to the NHL and they were back to being really good again. I'm sure our readers will gladly give up, give me some suggestions. I yeah, guess maybe. Give us some submissions here, guys. I'm sure if you're a fan of a team who has a player <laughs> Corey had given up on, you remember it. So yeah. how about we'll, let, let's crowdsource that question? We'll come back to it next time we have a show. Yeah, I'm sure there's. Uh, there's some out there. Like I forgot where I. I feel like I gave Dennis Gurionov some strong ratings. Is he? Is he still? Is he considered a top six forward? In, in I don't in think Dallas? so. He probably would have been a year or two ago, but I think he had a he had a, he had a tough year, maybe a tough couple years. Yeah, you know that one. So like, it's a balance there. As I'm sure I'm missing somebody obvious that somebody will remind us about. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll come back to that one. We're gonna finish with, I think the best question of the day. I love this. It's from Beast. He says, in your estimation, who is the furthest from contending for the cup? Is it a team at the bottom like Chicago or San Jose or a team whose window has closed and doesn't realize it yet like Vegas or Washington? And by the way, I think a year ago, some people would have put San Jose in that category too. What is the timeline for these teams to actually be true contenders again? Well, I don't think – what do you think this? I like what I What I love about the question is it – is Washington further away, despite the fact that they have a very real chance to be a playoff team next year, which by definition makes them more likely to win the cup than Chicago. But Chicago has already, if, if they don't win one, then Chicago has already started this rebuild process. Whereas Washington hasn't even started it yet. Yeah, I think Washington and Vegas both, particularly Washington, I think has a good team. I think they're, you know, as long in the NHL, if you make it, you got a chance. Yeah. Make it into the playoffs. So I think, especially given that, I would have included Vegas in this conversation, but then they lose Robin Lehner, and now they've yep. got a major question in goal now, even though I do like the roster quite a bit, even though it's like Washington is quite an old roster. Um, so I think Washington is – I don't hate the situation right now. Even, okay, I mean, so we'll let's see, take we'll, them out. We'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, with Backstrom, that's kind of the big one there, right? Like, you know, is he – you know, how healthy is he? How effective is he going to be? You know, that's – that's the big one there. Well, we could take them out. Then. Let's yeah. sub in like Boston or the Islanders along with Vegas, you know, Chicago, Arizona, Montreal. Like who among those teams is farthest away? I do you get you you know what, you get the philosophical yeah. distinction here. Yeah. Yeah, I do. There's there's there becomes a point where you probably hit where you hit like the no return point as like as an older team that keeps going for it and eventually and that's what we're talking about like eventually the good times in in Pittsburgh and Washington at some point they're going to run out. Uh, it just it's just a matter of of when. I think you kind of saw that with San Jose at some point, right? They just yep. kept running the same team back over and over and over again, and they were having a lot of success and, until they didn't. Yep. And and then and I think San Jose they're kind of in, the, in this limbo where they they're they're trying to win games, but they're trying to rebuild too, and it's not really clear what what their 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 near term and long term objectives are exactly. Uh, whereas I think Chicago is going for the the true tear it down to the roots, you know. Even you know twenty year old Kirby Doc doesn't fit as part of our rebuild kind of thing, <laughs> you know. So it's exactly. I would probably say you know those. I still think teams like Pittsburgh, Washington, even Boston to an extent are in are in the mix. But eventually, and it could be within the next two to three years, there will be a point where I think a team like Chicago has has a better long term. Uh, projection than they than they do. I I go the other way because I just don't I can't I can see it with Washington. I agree. I'm eliminating from them from this conversation. 
Boston, I, I would have a hard time seeing getting out of the East almost in any scenario. And for that reason, I can't say that they're closer knowing that they're going to have to do at some point what Chicago's already done. Now, they'll have the luxury of being able to trade, you know, if they want to, David Posternock potentially, and that could get him a kickstart on the rebuild. Sure. They'll still have Charlie McAvoy. Uh, they'll still have actually a few really good young defensemen that maybe gives them a little bit of an edge. Swayman's a good young goalie. Yep, that's right. Yeah, okay. So maybe, maybe, maybe even not giving Boston enough credit. But well, I, well, well, I think with Swayman, and I think when I've talked to scouts, this is the kind of the question with Swayman too: is you know, can he be a sixty-five start guy? You know, he split the starts with with Linus Allmark last year, and it's like, you know, if, if can he be the guy you lean on? He's your everyday guy. He plays every night for you uh, in the playoffs. To you know, he's a true number one goalie. Can he do that and still maintain the high level performance that he did yeah. last season? Uh, I think that still be determined. But overall, his early time as a pro has been quite impressive. I, I just think I'm taking the like better to have started the the process here. One once you hit the point of no return, maybe like, maybe I'm just picking the wrong teams as an example of it. But uh, yeah, I feel like I, you don't know you've hit the point of no return until you've actually hit it, kind of thing. Yeah, I think you always think you're gonna. I always you always hit one year. I think a good team, a better example would be the Winnipeg Jets, who okay. kept running the same core back, and now they're not even making the playoffs anymore. That is a better example. So that's all I that's all I needed, Corey, was just you make the point for me and then there, I'll win the argument. There you go. <laughs> all right, let's end it right there. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts, get all the bonus content from our entire network. It's going to start you with a 30-day free trial and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. And folks, there's going to be a lot of content coming very soon. So make sure you get on board with that. We'll talk to you soon.